0: Hi and welcome, or welcome back to the Southside Baptist Church podcast. You've probably heard the statement, great fences make great neighbors. Well, regardless of how you feel about that phrase, you've likely experienced the benefit of healthy boundaries in certain relationships and the pain that comes with the lack of them in others. Join us for a sermon series exploring what the Bible teaches about boundaries. You know, what they are, how we should face them, what they teach us about God, and how we find the pleasant places he has for us inside of them enjoy
1: thank you choir appropriate song passing through water talking about baptism uh, today as we celebrated that and uh, also the the image of water in the Bible is often used for troubles or Uh, difficulties, uh, the idea that uh, through the storms of life and through the difficulties of life, uh, troubled waters. And baptism itself is actually a picture of that as well. When you heard each of the folks who were baptized, those who were doing the baptism, said buried with Christ in death, and that's signified by placing uh, the person under the water and then raised to walk in a new life, bringing them out of the water. Uh, Water is a symbol for that trouble, that death, that struggle that we is common to the human condition. We all face difficulties. We all face problems and struggle and pain in life. It doesn't matter what your religious belief is. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not or what your worldview is. Everyone on earth Uh, faces, struggles, and difficulties of different kinds. We have been looking each week for the last several weeks at boundaries that God gives us, boundaries that mark out for us his will for us and direct us closer to him and his area of protection. So we've looked at things like time and how time is a boundary and money, how money can be a boundary, relationships. All of these things are boundaries. And today, I wanna look at a boundary that is another one of those that is common to all of us but one that maybe we don't often consider as a boundary and I want us to think about it today and that is the boundary of pain and suffering. Now this whole series comes from Psalm chapter 16. If you do the daily readings that we give, uh, you've been reading Psalm 16 every uh, week for the last several weeks but I want us to read Psalm 16 6 together again. So if we can, let's put it on the screen and read Psalm sixteen six. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a beautiful inheritance. Father, I pray today that as we consider the boundary marker of pain and suffering, Lord, something that we all are familiar with, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and that, Lord, we might come to understand some of the struggles and the pain that we have gone under or maybe are even undergoing now and that you will help us to find within the boundary markers of that pain, of that struggle, of that difficulty, your presence, your presence to bring healing and hope and a future. And Father, I just pray that our ears would be open and I pray for the voice of your Holy Spirit to to speak and teach us today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. So let me talk a little bit about what we mean by pain. What we mean by pain, you think, well, that's kind of obvious, but I don't want any of us to think it just refers to one category of pain and not all categories. So here are just a few to help us. You may find yourself in one or more of these categories even right now this morning. One, for example, is people who have some kind of temporary pain. Maybe you Uh, injured yourself this week and you've got some sort of pain, a broken arm or a broken leg or something that's happened to you and you have already discovered the boundaries that that pain marks for you. If, you, if you've hurt your your arm and that you were right handed and you hurt your right hand, well, you're going to have trouble functioning for a while. There's a boundary marker that that pain is presented to you. But it's also people who suffer from chronic pain or chronic medical conditions that set boundaries in their life. People who struggle with various diseases or, or, or various uh, conditions, results of accidents or otherwise, and it puts a limitation on you. We all have one in common. Some of you haven't discovered this yet, but age presents its own boundary. Can I- I get an amen? Amen. Amen. The spirit is willing, but the body is just given up. And and you find yourself, the older you get, getting more and more limited because your body just naturally is getting to a point where it's no longer able to do some of the things it was able to do before. So that's one. But it's also not just our pain or our suffering. Sometimes it's the pain and suffering of other people. Many of you in the room, and I, I know the stories of many of you, have or are currently Caring for people who, are, who have illness. Caring for aging parents or aging family members. And so the people you're caring for have presented a boundary in your life. It's sort of a a double barreled boundary because you've got the boundary of the relationship and the boundary of their physical or medical condition, and you find yourself needing to provide care for that person, and it's just a boundary marker that God's placed in your life. Some of you have cared for parents who've gone on to be with the Lord, and you remember how restricted your time or your your efforts were during that time because of the limitations of caring for an aging parent, or maybe you've had a, a child with an illness and you've had to care for that child and so it's it's presented a boundary to you as you cared for that child or you cared for that loved one. But there's another one that maybe we want to ignore, don't want to talk about, but it is the, the pain and suffering that's associated with mental health issues. People who battle depression or people who have gone through grief situations and you find yourself grieving and you just think you can't get over the grief, you can't overcome it. Or you battle depression or some sort of an addiction and you just can't get past that and it's presented a boundary. You feel actually imprisoned by your grief, by your depression, by your mental struggle, whatever the mental illness may be. There was a writer in the early part of the century who said something really important, and and I just feel like this is so important for many of you in the room to hear because of the stigma that so often goes along with pain and suffering as it relates to emotions or our mental status. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden it is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken but that's very real pain too in fact some of you who have experienced physical pain and emotional pain would say physical pain is much easier to deal with Than the emotional pain that you may be struggling with or or, or battling with today. So I want to talk about pain and suffering and the boundary it presents for us. And I know this is common for all of us, and some of you may be going through something right now and, and may be hearing what I'm saying and think, well, that doesn't that doesn't even I don't know how hopeful that is when we talk about it from these perspectives. Just stick with me to the end because my hope is that whether you're suffering now or whether you are trying to put past suffering into perspective. That something about what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you today from his word will help you to understand and even see that through the pain, through the suffering, God is drawing you closer to himself. So we're going to talk about the problem of pain, the promises of pain, and finally, a plan for pain. So let's start by talking about the problem of pain. The problem of pain is pretty obvious. It may even not need me to say anything about it. pain and suffering are universal everybody suffers, everybody endures pain at some point, and it is also inevitable. So if you haven't experienced pain or you're not experiencing it now, just wait, it's coming your way soon. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now this isn't just about our bodies, okay? Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? How many of you know your body is a jar of clay? And like you are a cracked pot, you would say, I'm a like, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We recognize that our bodies are, are deteriorating, really that, that we are declining, our health is declining. There's almost nothing we can do about it. Medical technology, pharmaceuticals, solutions only can do so much, but we are struggling. Our bodies are dying. But it's not just about us physically. It's really about everything in the world. Now, I, I, just, just to depress everybody, everything is dying. Right? I mean, everything is, str- everything is moving towards just disintegration and decline. Every relationship you have is declining. I mean, everyone will ultimately come to a close. I, it, it might not end with divorce. Your marriage w- might hopefully, prayerfully won't end in divorce. But, but ultimately, unless the Lord takes you both at the same time, one of you will stand at the other person's funeral. And that relationship begins to decline. Your performance at your job. You, you may have been at your A game at some point. But somewhere along the line, there's another generation who came along and they can do it better and faster. And you find that suddenly you're not as good at doing whatever that job is anymore. You still, have, you still have the experience, you still have the knowledge, but you find yourself, I, I just can't seem to, to do it as well as I can. Society as a whole, you look around and you see things that are happening in society and you, things just seem to be built up only to get to a point where they ultimately begin to decline again. We never can kind of move past this idea of this cycle of, of of beginning and birth and creation and then ultimately what happens? Deterioration and decline and we just find ourselves in this cycle and everything about life is moving. Everything is moving away from life and towards suffering and ultimately towards death. Our minds, our skills, our relationships, everything is inevitably falling apart. This is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says it's just a mist. It's just a vapor. I mean, If you really want to to encourage yourself today, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's very depressing. But this is the reality we live in. And, And here's what's so true about the time that we live in today, our culture. Unlike any other culture in all of human history, we do not understand this. Previous generations understand this. If you read the writings of people 50 years ago, 100 years ago, they understood and accepted this was sort of the human nature, the human condition. But today, in 2019, we don't really want to face that reality. We sort of try to sanitize suffering. We try to move it out of the public view. Uh, we we, We think that there's a medical solution for everything. You just get the right doctor, get the right medicine, get the right therapist. Surely there is a solution to this. And when we don't find a solution, what do we do? We hide it. We hide the suffering. We don't want to look at it. We, we want to move away from it so that we can only see life as it's on the upswing, that we can only see life as it's growing, life as it's being given. We don't want to look at the other side of the equation. So we don't recognize, and therefore, as a culture, we don't understand the purpose of suffering, the promise of suffering, or the plan. We just ignore it and we try to avoid it at all costs. Now, the, another problem of suffering is that it presents a theological dilemma for us. Uh, this has been an argument that many have used and many atheists throughout the generations have used, not just our own, but in previous generations, have said there's a problem of suffering and they believe in, in the belief in the existence of a loving, powerful God. Because if God is all-powerful and all-loving, there should not be any human suffering. Because either he is not all loving, or why would he allow it? Or he's not all powerful, he can't do anything about it. So, so the, the atheist argument would be suffering is evidence that there is no God. The problem with that is that there is a couple of assumptions in that belief. One is they assume that God is not involved in the suffering. It didn't say that he causes it, but that God isn't isn't involved he doesn't reveal himself he's not somehow using suffering and the other assumption that they make in this is that somehow suffering that we endure isn't producing something better that God doesn't allow suffering because of something that it's going to do in us and through us and ultimately that it's going to give us something better So in Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, Corinth was a church made up a lot of Gentiles, but there were some Jewish believers as well. Uh, They were in the city of Corinth. It was a very wealthy city. And he had gone and he had started this church in Corinth. And as he is traveling around, he is writing letters back to the people at Corinth. But as Paul is traveling around the world, Paul continually faces all kinds of horrific situations. He is imprisoned. Uh, You go back and look just a couple chapters before at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can read all the ways he suffered. He said, you know, he was sent in prison, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, uh, he was beaten with a rod, he was stoned and left for dead. All of these things happened to him. Well, meanwhile, back in Corinth, this group of people who are supposed to be listening to Paul, there are some in the crowd who are beginning to challenge Paul's leadership. They're pointing to all the ways that Paul is suffering and they're openly questioning if they should follow someone whom God has clearly abandoned. Because God certainly couldn't be with someone who's suffering as much as Paul is suffering. I mean, I've sailed across the Mediterranean Sea. These guys, I've sailed across the Mediterranean Sea three or four times. I've never been shipwrecked. Paul's been shipwrecked three or four times. I mean, if he really is from God and if the words that he is saying are really from God then why is God letting him suffer like he's suffering? Why is God allowing him to be persecuted and beaten and and abused? And here's what's true. Because, come on, if you've suffered, you've felt this way too, you have felt like this. You have asked yourself at times, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? So so we question ourselves. is, Is there something I did? Is there some unconfessed sin? And we begin to think, what, did, did I do something? And of course the problem with that is it's completely contradictory to the message of the Bible in a God of grace and mercy. Now I, that's not to say that your suffering isn't a consequence, a natural consequence of your sin. I mean, there are decisions we make and we invite pain into our life, right? I mean, we've all made those decisions and the natural consequence of our sin will bring pain into our life. But it is not the same as to say that somehow my suffering is evidence of some sin in my life that God is punishing me for. This is what the entire book of Job is about, dispelling that myth. God is not angry with you. If you are suffering, it is not because God is somehow trying to Exact judgment on you so that he can get you right. Your suffering may be the consequence of your sin, but I want to say this that consequence of the sin, even in suffering, is evidence of God's love for you. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. In other words, an invitation to come back closer to him. But we'll ask ourselves, What did I do wrong? Or then we may move away from that and we may begin to say, Is God real? Is God loving? Is God not powerful enough to take away this problem, this pain, this suffering? So so we'll ask these important questions. And these were the questions that the people of Corinth were asking about the Apostle Paul. But Paul says something so incredibly powerful and so incredibly relevant for us as believers in the 21st century as we face suffering. He flips the script. And listen, this is so important for you to understand Because even if you're not enduring suffering now, when it comes your way, it is so important for you to build a rock-solid faith on this truth. That suffering is not a denial of the existence of God, of the goodness of God. Suffering is not a denial of the gospel. Suffering is confirmation of it. Pain and suffering is a confirmation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is making this case to the Corinthians in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 4. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open back up with me and look what he says. 2 Corinthians verse four, or chapter 4, verse 10, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, this is the very core message of the gospel. That death gives way to life. That suffering gives way to hope. That there is, there is a cycle, but death is not the end of the cycle. In fact, death is just the beginning of the cycle. So let's t- look at some of these promises of pain. So the problem of pain we all are familiar with, but let's look at some promises that Paul lines out for us. The promise of pain. First of all, the promise of pain is that it will give you a greater dependence. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That lest we forget where our source of strength in source of strength lies, this, this jar of clay will remind us. That we are dependent on somebody other than ourselves. Later on, he says, because we know that God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also raise us along with him. That we're dependent on God in our suffering. Johnny Erickson Tata is a Christian writer and speaker. On July 30th, 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. She suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical levels and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she has been paralyzed for her entire life since that event. She prayed. She prayed for healing. People who knew her and who loved her, godly people, prayed for her healing. I want you to listen to what Johnny Tata says about her suffering and the dependence that it has created in her life. He has chosen not to heal me. But to hold me. Heartache forces us to embrace God. Out of desperate urgent need. God is never closer. Than when your heart is aching. The more intense the pain. The closer his embrace. Maybe the truly handicapped ones. Are the ones who don't need God. As much. That pain is. Makes us realize our dependence. The promise of pain is that it makes you dependent on Him. Paul gives these two images the jars of clay that were fragile, that were weak, that were dependent, but he gives another one, the thorn in His flesh. And what does God do? What does God say to Paul when Paul asks God to remove the thorn from His flesh? He says, No, because my grace is sufficient for you. The thorn is what will remind you that you need my grace. And that it is enough. Apart from the thorn, I may become self-sufficient. I may be dependent on other people. But with the thorn, I'm constantly reminded of my dependence on God. Paul, uh, Paul is saying that basically pain is giving us an invitation to draw near and to depend on God. C.S. Lewis said this, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so part of what I hope we understand about the promise of pain and, and the dependence that we have is that every pain that you experience, no matter what kind, physical, emotional, relational, mental, every pain that you have is an invitation from God. An invitation to have an encounter with him. But there's a problem. Because we can avoid and often do avoid pain. In fact, we will run away from painful situations. We will run away from painful conversations. We, we will try to do everything we can to avoid pain. But pain will not be ignored. And if you will not come to God for healing, you will seek to medicate that pain in lots of other ways. You will seek to medicate the pain by finding something else that you can distract yourself with when in fact God is saying, no, 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 come to me in the midst of your need. Find your comfort from me. I'm not saying you don't accept medical care if you're dealing with physical pain, but I'm saying we find all kinds of ways to medicate that have nothing to do with going to see a physician, We medicate our pain with alcohol. We medicate our pain with sex. We medicate our pain with drugs. We medicate our pain with more TV, more social media. We medicate the pain. When in fact, God may be using the pain as a megaphone in your life to say, come to me. Be dependent on me. My grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. So just a couple questions for you. Is there a way right now That you are experiencing pain in your life of any kind, relational, emotional, physical pain in your life, that is an invitation from God to be more dependent upon him, to draw closer to him. Another question, is there a pain in your life that you're avoiding? Is there a pain in your life that you are resisting, you're ignoring? And are you medicating it with other things? I don't know what it is for you but are you medicating the pain instead of coming to the one who offered healing see one of the promises of pain is that God will meet us in the pain that pain leads us to a greater dependence of him a dependence on him and then a greater reality of his presence with us the second promise is greater life greater life first of all greater life for other people verse uh, chapter 4 verse 12 says that my, my pain, Paul is basically saying, is ultimately benefiting you Corinthians. Like you're saying it's, it's evidence that maybe I'm not following God, but in fact, I'm telling you my pain is ultimately for your good. Death is at work in us so that life can be at work in you. I think about this when I think about some of our friends here at Southside and even some who are with us um, online every week. Many of you know our friends Vanita and Francis. Vanita uh, and Francis uh, lived their lives in, in service to Jesus and loving him and uh, traveling around the world, telling other peoples about Jesus, supporting missionaries around the world. And as Vanita and Francis have both um, aged, that physical limitation began to become a reality. They find their world getting smaller and smaller and smaller so that they are pretty much confined to their home. But the reality is that in the midst of that, in the midst of that suffering, where you would say, "Well, they're not able to do as much." They have found ways within the boundaries that God has marked out for them to be a blessing for other people, to bring greater life to other people. So they they pray, and some of you have never heard their name before, but they know your name, and they pray for you every week. I was when I was talking one time to uh, to Miss Benita, she was saying that her prayer list has over 250 names, and she was telling me some of the names. Some of you who are in leadership at this church, missionaries from around the world, that she prays for every day for hours and hours and hours praying. Because she understood, your boundary markers for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And her pain is giving greater life to other people. Her suffering is bringing greater life to some of you in the room who've never even met her. She prays for me and my family and all of my kids every day, every single day, and for many of you as well. So the promise of pain is that it brings greater life for other people. And this isn't just about ministry. There are people who have used their skills and their gifts, their education and their talents when they could have taken those into the world and made a lot of money, but instead they've decided, you know what, I'm not going to take the job where I can get paid more. I'm going to take the position in an inner city institution or organization. I'm going to work in an inner city school. I'm going to work at an inner city hospital. I'm not going to get paid as much, but I am going to to suffer in the area of my career advancement. I'm going to suffer financially because God's given me these gifts and these abilities. And I am going to use that and leverage that for what God's called me to do in service in these other places. And so our pain, our suffering, brings greater life for other people, but it also brings greater life for me. It's not just about others, it's also about me. Romans 5, 3 says this, we rejoice in our suffering. Now Paul would sound like a group of people that uh, first century philosophers called masochists. Like they seek out ways to be suffering. But listen to what he says, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We're going to come back to hope in just a minute. James 1, verse 2 and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that trials are testing of your faith and they develop perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That your suffering is bringing greater life to you. As you persevere, as you endure, as you maintain the faith, God is doing a deep work inside of you. And as you persevere through that, you're becoming a better person. You are being refined into the image of Jesus. You are becoming a more useful person. How do you purify gold and silver? It's in a crucible. It's in the furnace. And pain and suffering is one of those things that God can use in your life to bring greater life to you and to the people around you. And here, listen, this is the whole, this is why this is so important, because it is the message of the entire gospel that when God took on flesh and came and lived among us and demonstrated what it meant to live in this world, what did he do? He became less and less and less and suffered and suffered and suffered to the point of his own death. But without death, there is no resurrection. And so Jesus modeled that for us. This is why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That this suffering is bringing greater life to us, but also to you. Because I'm going to bring you with me through my suffering. Some of the best testimonies of faith you have ever experienced, you've ever witnessed firsthand, have been because there has been somebody, a faithful believer of Jesus, who has endured suffering. And you have seen in their suffering and in their pain something, something that defied human explanation. And you knew that there was something at work inside of them that was allowing them to face that suffering in ways that were beautiful and life-giving. And so Paul's thorn in the flesh That he had, this suffering that he endured, we don't know what it is. There have been probably thousands of dissertations written about what it is, and nobody still knows what it is. We'll never know what it is until we get to heaven, and even then, I don't think we'll think to ask. We'll be so overwhelmed with other stuff. But Paul asked God several times, will you remove it from me? And God's answer was no. No, I won't. And that should remind us of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed to the Father, Father, if it's possible, will you let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And see, here's what's happening. God is allowing the thorn to remain. God is allowing Jesus to endure the suffering. Because here's what's true in in Jesus' suffering in ours. That as we are pressed down, as we are struck down, As we are persecuted, as we are pressed even to the point of death and laid in a tomb, God's power explodes into the world through our weakness. God's strength explodes into the world through our suffering. God is at work. He is bringing greater life. And finally, the final promise, he's bringing greater hope. Hope only grows in the soil of discomfort and discontentment. Now think about this. Hope means there's something that you want that you don't have. In order for there to be something you want that you don't have, there has to be some level of discomfort or discontentment. Which means the only way you can actually have real authentic hope, not just a bumper sticker on your car or a beautiful picture on your wall at home that says hope, but the only way you can have hope is to have suffering. That's it. It's the only way. Hope only grows in the soil of discontent and discomfort. So there were some views of suffering in the early uh, first century that Paul was battling. There were those who were the Stoics who said, you should just accept suffering. This life is just going to suffer, just accept it. There were the Epicureans who said, no, 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 avoid suffering at all costs. There were the ascetics and the the masochists who said, you should embrace suffering. Christianity doesn't say that. Christianity says, you redeem suffering that that the gospel actually redeems suffering. Suffering is the fertile ground where hope grows. Listen to what he said. Romans 8, back in Romans 8, Paul said this, Romans 8:18. 8, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Paul's talking about suffering saying that it will be outweighed by some future glory. Many of us believe that. We're like, well, we're just going to suffer in this life and then we're going to die and then I'll go to heaven. And I won't have to suffer anymore. But that's not the end of the story. Because listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary afflictions or troubles are achieving for us a greater glory that far outweighs them all. He's not just saying that pain and suffering will be outweighed by this greater glory. He's saying that our present suffering is producing this future glory. Now, now here's why this is important. You, you with me? Shake your head yes, you're with me. All right, Because this is important. Heaven is not compensation for the suffering you endure in this life. Heaven, if that's all it were, what that would mean is that, yes, I've suffered and I've lost everything. I've lost all these people I've loved. I've lost all these things. I've lost a career I loved. I've lost, I've lost all this. But I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to replace it all. He's going to compensate me for my suffering. That is not the teaching of the gospel. See, heaven is actually the redemption of everything that you've ever suffered. That it's reclaimed. That it's restored. That it's renewed. Christian hope for a restoration of everything that's lost in our suffering. Let me give you an illustration. This is an illustration that Tim Keller gave. Imagine that you had a dream. Some of you maybe have had dreams like this. Imagine that you had a dream one night. You went to bed. It was a very realistic dream, and in your dream, you witnessed the horrific death of everybody in your family. And It was so real. Like, you, you saw it, and you felt the pain of the loss, the tragic loss, and you felt it. But then you wake up from the dream. And, and all of a sudden, you look over, and there, there's your spouse. You, you go into your kid's room, and you look, and, and there they are. It's not that they were lost to you and then God replaced them. It's that somehow through that experience of that dream, that horrific dream, the value you place on them is so much more, right? I mean, suddenly you realize your wife went to bed and she's the same wife. He's the same husband. They're the same kids, You know, they're still going to spill their milk at the breakfast table. You know, he's still making a D in chemistry. But what happens after you have the dream? All of a sudden, none of that stuff matters. And the value, the appreciation that you have for them is restored and heightened. And everything about that pleasure, the joy, the fulfillment that comes with what you had all along is suddenly fulfilled. This is what heaven is. It's, it's this reality that you wake up and the suffering wasn't for nothing. It wasn't wasted. God doesn't have to replace what you lost in pain and suffering. No, in fact, it's the suffering, it's the pain that makes it so wonderful when it's finally fulfilled. When you finally are with Jesus and everything is restored to you and everything that was wrong is made right. And every tear is wiped away and there is no more pain or sickness or death. And God has restored what was broken in you. And He doesn't replace it with something different, He redeems what was broken. And this is what leads us to the plan for pain. And this is so simple, it's almost embarrassing to say. But but listen to this verse 18. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen. You don't fix your eyes. On the divorce, you don't fix your eyes on the child who is wayward and lost and, and all the regrets you have. You don't fix your eyes on the oncologist's report that says there's no hope for it. You don't fix your eyes on the grave. We don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Because what is seen, the pain, the suffering, the hurting, is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Eternal. And so we fix our eyes on that. Knowing that these light and momentary afflictions, these troubles that we are experiencing right now, they, are, they do not compare to the glory that God has in store for us. In fact, they are achieving for you a greater glory. So keep your eyes fixed. That's the plan. Keep your eyes fixed on what God is calling you to as you press on towards that mark. And no suffering will come. It will come. Not everybody who prays for healing is going to be healed in this life. And listen to me, even if they are, they will die of something else. Now I'm not saying that not to be hopeful. I'm just telling you that if you place your hope in somehow there's going to be some miracle healing, you are still going to face suffering down the road. You're not looking far enough to the hope that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And so you fix your eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. There was a friend of mine at our church. Many of you knew him, Robert Jones. Robert was a tall man. I think he was about seven foot, but you would never know it because he sat in a wheelchair. Robert was in a car accident when he was a teenager, a young adult. He was driving drunk. And he lost control of the car and was in a horrific accident. And he lost his eyes as a result of the accident. So from that point forward, Robert was never able to see again. Robert came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And Robert served Jesus in some pretty amazing ways. He was an amazing guy. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. But I heard Robert say one time that... um, that he could never really see until he lost his eyes. But once he lost his eyes, Jesus gave him sight. Don't fix your eyes on what is temporary. Fix your eyes on what is eternal. Your light and momentary afflictions are achieving for you a greater glory that is going to far outweigh them all, but you've got to keep your eye on that. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. We're going to have a time for those of you who are here who may want to respond to an invitation, maybe today for a couple things. I'm just gonna invite you to come forward and there may be many of you to come and we'll have people who will come and pray with you, but I just, want you to, I just want you to think about this. If you are here today and you are suffering with some sort of pain or struggle, could be someone else's that's presenting a boundary in your life, could be your own, it, it could be something emotional, it could be relational, whatever it is, if you are enduring pain today and you would just like to pray for God to do One of two things, or both things. One, healing. That would be great. I believe that he can do that. But I believe the healing he wants to bring you is more than physical. That's just temporary. The healing he wants to bring is eternal. So I wonder today if you would just come and just invite God to heal you, or maybe like Paul, to give you perspective. To show you that his grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. Maybe you'd come down here and let us pray for you. Just kneel. You can kneel at these steps. You can pray with me. Pray with others. But for those others of you who maybe today you realize all the pain you've endured, you have been trying to medicate it. You've been trying to treat it with something else. Temporary solutions. But today you realize that Jesus' death and resurrection is the cure for what what is wrong with your soul. It is the final and ultimate cure for you. Maybe today you would come and just in faith you would receive Jesus. Like those who testified today in their baptism, you'd just say, I want that kind of life. Not confined by this present age, but that is an eternal life. And you'd give your, faith, you'd give your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to stand together, we're going to sing, and you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. Father, I pray today, as people all over this room, Lord, who have experienced pain and suffering, they've experienced hardship, God, as they As they try to reconcile that with you who are all loving and all powerful, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just whisper to them, maybe shout to them through their pain, the promise that you are bringing greater life in them and in others. The the promise, God, of a hope that goes beyond this present suffering. The promise of your, of of dependence on you and your, your presence with them in the middle of their suffering. Lord, would you right now, right now, for those who are hurting, would you just give them the faith to come to you in the middle of their pain and be healed. For we pray it in the name of the one who came to give life, who came to bring healing and hope, Jesus Christ, our great physician. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. You can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. For directions, for service times, and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.